last night I've watched the last two episodes of The Witcher. Okay. Which, which Witcher did I watch? <laughs> it wasn't the Switch Witch Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a Netflix Witcher, which I watched. Soldiers of Hell! Welcome to the Soldiers of Hell podcast. I'm Andy and I'm Spence. In 1999, a slightly disturbing young man declared that we are soldiers of hell. We are neither soldiers nor from hell. Fire up your mini discs and listen now. It's 2020. <laughs> when 20, did that happen? 20. Um, 15 days ago, <laughs> roughly. Yeah. 15 days ago. <laughs> Just depending, depending on when you listen. You know, we might give you close to when we're recording. But yes, it's 2020. What's your vision um, like right now? Uh, so so. Ah, not 2020 then. No, um, I think there's there's going to be a, a European singing competition this year. That's uh, 2020 something. Can't think what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's, it's a new year, and it's a it's, well, it's not really a new us. It's an older us, another year older us. But but there we go, and that us is Andy and Spence. Here we are back again for another year of cutting edge. Getting older. Rusty edge. <laughs> yeah. It's like last year was all about anniversaries, Twenty a 20-year 20 anniversary of us doing radio and podcasts. We did five years of our film and, oh, God, it's like it's a celebration of actually we're not young anymore. That's what it basically was. The way I think of it is um, like 2012, um, was that like the Queen? Was it a Jubilee as well and the Olympics? Yeah. A real vintage year, like a real good year. And then the year after, it's like, actually, it's not a Jubilee. She's just old. <laughs> yeah. Still the Queen, still really good, but old. <laughs> old. Still gets two birthdays, which is so, uh, a bit fluky. Does that mean she's 180? That'd be 90. She's 90. Uh, yes. She's 90 plus. That's just the bit she ticks when she fills in, like, you know, demographic information after applying for a bank account or something. Whereas we're 1990s plus. That's, we're like, we stopped maturing. In 1990s plus, a few years of the 80s and a couple of years of the 2000s. But after that, we don't care. So a minute ago, you almost mentioned Eurovision. Uh, it's the uh, middle of January. You're already looking forward to May then. <laughs> like, counting down the days till May. It's weird. Um, my kids, over the Christmas holiday, um, as soon as Christmas was done, they were like, how long till Eurovision? <laughs> and like, like, well, Eurovision is now branded Christmas too. Brilliant. Well, it is like the... The beginning of summer, isn't it? In a way, it's like yes, it marks that. It marks that time of everything's a party, and like you can just do what you want. Yeah, it's it's usually warm. Generally yeah. speaking, it's a nice day. Um, summer for me is bookended by the start is Eurovision and the end is my wife's birthday. No, it is for me, not your wife. It's your birthday, <laughs> but it's literally the day before, isn't it? <laughs> Hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's as good as. I mean, they really do seem to have latched onto it a little bit this year. To 
I mean, I'm a big fan of Eurovision, but even I'm a little concerned about how much they've enjoyed it. Um, just to put it into context, a couple of days after Christmas, they decided uh, they just watched the whole of the 2020 contest again on catch up <laughs> in, well, in full. Is, they're not singing every Christmas every day. <laughs> I wish you'd cover Eurovision every day. Yeah. It, and then, and uh, the you know the saddest thing is they 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 still think that we can win one day. They've not reached that point yet of uh, despair, which is good. That youthful optimism. Here's an idea. Why don't they do a Christmas Eurovision where it's it's all Christmas or festive or winter based numbers? Love it. You look at you look at the, all the best Christmas songs that they're British Christmas songs, aren't they? Uh, with the possible exception of Feliz Davidad. I think so. I'm trying to think now what isn't. I mean, it depends what you like, really, doesn't it? But all the classic nostalgia-based ones, with the exception of maybe White Christmas. Which admittedly is a biggie. <laughs> <laughs> all I want for Christmas is you. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, from from this side of the Atlantic, you've got your Slade, you've got your Wizard... You've got your, I mean, some would argue the um, the king of this sort of thing, your uh, Sir Cliff Richard. Yeah. I mean, we can enter a supergroup, surely. The bloke from Wizard's still alive. Noddy Holder's still alive. Cliff Richard, I'm fairly certain he's going to be free. He's still releasing Christmas singles, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, and uh, on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling my kids this year, every time they... This little wine video came on the telly. I was saying, remember who that is? Third most important man at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I was also saying, it would be good to have a fight between <laughs> Richard and Michael Bublé. <laughs> yeah, that's like a real um, Simba and Scar, you know, fighting for the throne. The, yes. the old, The old... Somewhat gaunt king. <laughs> Does he still <laughs> release a calendar? I don't know if there's an official one, but I've definitely seen Cliff Richard calendars. So far, what we've what we've agreed that we're looking forward to in 2020 is Eurovision and Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> They're the tent poles of the year. Yes, I, I don't think there's enough poles there to make a functional tent. <laughs> So let's just put something in review then. What did you enjoy about last year? What are your big moments from last year that you really thought, yes, that was good? I think from a cinematic point of view, it would have to be Avengers Endgame. Same. You know, you don't get bigger than that in terms of pop culture events, really, do you? It's the best-selling film of all time, and it was <coughs> built up to over a 10-year period and 20 something film so uh yeah that's about as big as it gets really isn't it that really is a la- not just of the year a landmark moment overall because i d- it's one of them things where even if they do it again they can't do it again they can they can match the spectacle in theory but the feeling of that film the first time i don't think you can ever truly match that i think the big question for me is can they keep repeating this success indefinitely marvel is an excuse to print money isn't it 
like you're you're guaranteed yeah. to get bums on seats and but this is unique territory for them now it's post end game so will people be as interested i i think they will for a while but unless they can build another intriguing story 10 years is a long time the people who are 20 now were 10 when iron man came out in when they're 30 will they have been bothered probably but you know will be 50 (laughs) i think oh my god i think the the key to that one is going to be how they need to change and i think I think sort of phase three saw the starts of this. They need to diversify and just make proper genre films and maybe give the directors more freedom to to stamp their identity on it. If they did that, they'd be almost heading into DC territory. And yeah. actually, DC have been chasing Marvel's tail for the last 10 years. Uh, with varying degrees of success, but never actually catching up. And they've suddenly realised post-Justice League that the best thing that they can do is just be themselves rather than trying to be Marvel. And it's that's now working for them. If you look at the success of Aquaman and Joker and things like that, it's they're not trying to connect things anymore. They are doing different things with their property which is exactly what you've just described. Now, will Marvel be brave enough to do that when they've got a formula that already works? For me, one of the real issues is that with the advent of this Disney Disney Plus Netflix-esque streaming service, they really run a risk of saturation point. Yeah. Going and seeing a film two or three times a year is not much of a commitment how invested in watching WandaVision do I need to be for Wanda's next appearance in the main films to make sense do I now have to invest another 10, 12, 20 hours in a multiple TV series to get the best out of it what you've got there is what DC have been doing with the Arrowverse isn't it yeah I stopped watching that because I thought I can't commit to like five different TV shows that are all connected. Having said that, and we'll perhaps get onto this in a minute, I've watched half of Crisis on Infinite Earth because I'm just intrigued by it, but I haven't watched any of those other series since season two of Arrow, I think. Yeah, it's a real sort of watershed moment, I think. And it's people have only got a finite amount of time. Yeah, and I don't necessarily want to divert all of my free time watching TV to Marvel. The danger, and we've seen this with Star Wars. They tried to Marvelize the Star Wars universe, didn't they? They mm-hmm. started releasing a film every year, and there were films that weren't part of the main saga. And we saw with with Solo that that actually backfired a little bit. Even the, uh, dare I say this, because I know you haven't seen it yet, but the reviews of The Rise of Skywalker have been polarised, haven't they? I don't know if you've seen any. Have you tried to avoid it? Um, to to an extent, I know a little bit about it. And it's, it's, 
it's one of those where I just haven't had time. Again, this is the thing, isn't it? How many cinematic universes can I be invested in? I've I only get so many passes to go to the cinema. Exactly. Was... Paying your membership. <laughs> yeah. It's time to resolve the outstanding issues from the last podcast a longer ago. Let's mark things off the ledger. Let's mark things off the ledger. Let's mark things off the ledger. 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 <laughs> The weird thing is, I think I was more interested, and we perhaps might talk about this in a moment. I was more interested and keen to see Frozen Two with my kids than I was to actually get out the door and watch Rise of Skywalker on release weekend. I think that says more about your taste. <laughs> <laughs> that says more about my taste in CGI women. I'm <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, more Elsa and Les less. Maz Kanata. <laughs> you were saying you were calling calling her Les for a minute. Les Kanata. Like Les Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> You're Elsa and Les Dennis. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. But I think that's maybe more about the experience of like, I put more emphasis and value on I want to go and watch this with my kids and have a good family time at the cinema. Yeah. Speaking of cinematic universes, one of the highlights, again, for me from last year was uh, Into the Spider-Verse. That was a great film. I yeah. genuinely, genuinely loved it. Visually stunning. And I think a great sort of bullet point to everyone who's ever said, no, you can't do Spider-Man without Peter Parker. I think there's an argument to suggest that if you do them really well, a lot of comic book movies would be better as animated movies rather than live action. Yeah, I suppose it gives you that freedom to give you that real feeling. You, you could convey a feeling in an animated film a lot better than, you know, animation doesn't age in the same way that CGI does, mm. particularly hand-drawn animation and i think the art style everything about into the spider-verse for me was just absolutely bang on you know even even that they packed a lot of story into a very relatively short runtime yeah i hope we get more of it i'd love to love to see it but only if it was executed as well just going back to endgame and star wars briefly i think there are two examples of epic stories concluding last year um, another example would be Game of Thrones. Yes. What's interesting about those three is I enjoyed them all, but only Endgame had very little criticism or backlash, as far as I noticed. The other two seemed to be very divisive. And I would say a low light of last year is just how much time gets taken up with with people spouting their opinion on the internet, says a man who is currently spouting his opinion. <laughs> yeah. Media, in, in, in that sense, has got so big now. And, and it's inevitably going to happen with franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, Game of Thrones. People have their own version of what they want to see in their head. And it's almost like, they're not complaining about the merits of what's actually on screen. They're more complaining, you didn't do what I wanted to see. 
and that's why people get annoyed. I mean, okay, fair enough. I don't, I can't argue that there isn't consistency and pacing errors in Game of Thrones. But before I saw the fury on the internet about that series, if I'd have just watched it, you know, 10 years ago before social media was what it was, I'd have had no idea of how many people hated it. Yes. I try and avoid reviews before watching things. I'm terrible at wanting to see other people's opinions after I've watched something. And I'm really regretting it now because it starts to sully your own enjoyment of something retrospectively, which is is totally wrong. It should be, you enjoyed it, just accept you enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, the only real criticisms I think I can remember seeing of Endgame were ones related to oh, you can't just use time travel to explain everything and you can't just, if you do this, then that. And if you're using time travel in the way that you'll say you're using time travel and applying those rules, then how could Captain America go back and deliver everything back and grow old? And it's like, come on, guys, we're dealing with a film where there's a giant green Hulk having a fight with someone who's just flown through a spaceship because he got near an exploded engine. Yeah. That's not nitpick. If we're looking at inconsistencies and things that aren't realistic, there's bigger fish to fry. <laughs> yeah. It's like Just... people who who said um, Doctor Who should never be a woman. It's like it's it's a character that changes shape every time they die and they live in a in a police box that's actually a spaceship that travels in time that's bigger on the inside than the outside. It's like you can do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. There yeah, is yeah. internal logic. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, that is a, a downside. It's trying to stop that negativity seeping into your own enjoyment, which is difficult because once a few little strands start to get pulled, you can't help but sort of tug a little bit yourself, and that it's upsetting. So, some positives to last year, some negatives. What are you looking forward to in 2020? Well... My first positive of 2020, I've just finished. I've last night watched the last two episodes of The Witcher. Okay. Which which, which Witcher did I watch? <laughs> it wasn't the Switch Witch Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a Netflix Witcher, which I watched <laughs> not on the Switch. <laughs> <laughs> Which one is best? <laughs> uh, I think they're fairly well matched. <laughs> um, I re- really, really enjoyed it. I- I've-, I've mentioned this briefly to you, sort of in conversations away from the internet, but I think a lot of people perhaps went into it expecting another Game of Thrones, which. Yeah. Sort of, it is in a way. It's fantasy, it's violence, there's sex there. Um, you've got a big, big name star in it. You've got, you know, Henry Cavill there with an inexplicable wig. <laughs> but it's, it's so much more outright fantasy than than Game of Thrones. Question: so, Can I still play the? <laughs> Boobs versus wounds game whilst watching it. Have you ever played um, that game? I haven't. I'm feeling I could probably guess what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's. I mean, you could play it as a drinking game. 
if you wanted, but you don't have to. It's just if you're watching Game of Thrones with somebody, then one of you chooses boobs, one of you chooses wounds. The, the one that sees the most throughout that episode of their item wins. It's, it's good. It, okay. it increases the entertainment value by approximately five more percent. I'm going to clear this up. The Witcher wounds wins every time. No, oh. there's not much in the way of actual boobage there, but it. But um, it I, I really enjoyed it. The acting, it, you know, Henry Cavill isn't known for his amazing acting. He's he's the man that made Superman look sullen for the most part, and that sullenness is really hammered home in his character in The Witcher. But it's really sort of just good old. It's almost eighties style fantasy. It's it's monsters, it's witches, it's proper magic. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot closer. It reminded me more of Krull than a Game of Thrones, and I really enjoyed it. In spite of all its glaring, the dialogue is sometimes awful. I read one review of it that said it's like they forgot how to make a TV program. Yes. Which I think is harsh. But I enjoyed it, and I think it's worth a go. And it's only eight episodes long, so it's not a massive investment of time. Well, I I have to give that a go then, because until you told me it was good, everything I'd seen about it was saying it was bad. So it just goes to show, don't read reviews, make your own mind up. So what's your first thing that you're really looking forward to for 2020? The thing I'm looking forward to most in the first few months, I guess, is No Time to Die, the new James Bond film. Early April, I think it's April the 2nd, so actually not long now. Now, that's a film that, again, I think we can pretty much guarantee it will will get some people criticising it because... The, and and this is to tie it back to the franchise question. James Bond is a franchise that never dies; it just keeps going. Now, with the exception of Casino Royale, where it did a bit of a soft reboot, and the fact that in the last few films they've tried to maintain some level of continuity, every film has been sort of standalone. But now we're in that territory of Daniel Craig's era is very much a story with a with a through line and reoccurring characters i think there'll be some expectations on this to be a finale a bit like endgame or game of thrones or whatever it's difficult with bond isn't it there are multiple ways of looking at it there's there's the cons- there's the the circular timeline if you like then there's the the, the overlapping sort of timeline, and then there's the the idea that they're not all the same character, which to me has always felt like a more of a sort of a retrofitted idea to sort of make sense of the the fact that they just recast people in an era before this sort of stuff really happened. Yeah. So I, I, I don't. I've never really particularly liked that that way of looking at it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it's a satisfying end. I read a really good article once that referred to the James Bond as the continuity vortex. And actually, with the exception of probably TV shows, Star Wars and Game of Thrones, I'm cool with everything having a continuity vortex. I don't need everything to connect to what happened before. I want everything I watch to have its own entertainment value. 
if it's a franchise, then you know you're playing within a certain sandbox. Use which bits of it you, as a filmmaker, feel are the best bits that are going to help you tell your story and get maximum entertainment. And if that means recycling bad guys or doing things that connect, then so be it. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It kind of, and that's the beauty of James Bond. You can do whatever you want with it in terms of you make it a hundred percent standalone, or you can bring back Blofeld, or you can, yeah, do whatever. Yeah, people have sort of looked at the Daniel Craig area and are very keen to sort of say Casino Royale good, Quantum of Solace bad, uh, Skyfall good, Spectre bad, and it's it's not that simple. I enjoyed Spectre. I thought it was good. There were some good ideas in it. The yeah. one thing for me that I didn't particularly like is the way they... Why, why not just have Blofeld as a villain in this film? The way they sort of tried to shoehorn him having been the mastermind of the previous three films when it's not really been the case just feel, felt a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. And with no real explanation either. It's like, okay, clearly at the time Quantum of Solace was being made, you were setting up Quantum as an organisation to sort of fill the hole that Spectre had left from the, let's call them the classic films now. And then don't try and retroactively deal with it, move on. You don't need to make out that Quantum was somehow convolutedly a person in. Just move on. Yeah. And have, a, and have a good villain in this one. And I think Skyfall, more than anything, highlights that. It's not tied to anything else. It sort of wrote its own continuity in terms of going back to his home, um, you know, childhood home. It, it was like its own, it had its own internal timeline. And it was a really yeah. good villain. And it worked for it. Yeah. It was everything that I think Die Another Day, trying to be an anniversary Bond, was trying to be and got so disastrously wrong. Yes. Yeah. I, and uh, they're great examples, uh, opposite end of the spectrum, of playing within the sandbox and in those anniversary years they decided to incorporate as many references as they could but they were a lot more subtle in Skyfall um, with Die Another Day it just felt like a mishmash of ideas badly executed um, yeah it almost felt I, like a clip show yeah and what I like about what I'm looking forward to having seen the trailer for No Time to Die is some of those little nods he's got He's got the classic Aston Martin DB5. It's now got cannons and he can spin on, he can do donuts and kill bad guys who are surrounding him. Um, he, I mean, you thought, when I, when I messaged you about this, um, you thought I wish I had an amazing eye for different models of Aston Martin, didn't you? But <laughs> in the teaser trailer, he whips off a, uh, a cover off a car, doesn't he? And you just sort of see a little bit of the grill back of it. And that is the Aston Martin from the living daylight, which I think is, is really cool that it's like, yeah, he's got all these cars. I find that similar to whenever you read a sort of a Batman comic book and they do a shot of the Batcave 
and there's like six Batmobiles in there and they're all different ones from different different eras and stuff. It's like, yeah, that's just, it's just nice. It just gives you like a warm, fuzzy feeling. It doesn't have to have internal continuity or yeah. make any real sense. It just you makes you go, oh, I loved that one. That was great. Yeah, you don't have to be going, oh, there's no way that this version of Batman could have that. It's like, why is there always a Tyrannosaurus Rex in there? <laughs> yeah, why is there? I've never understood that. If if anybody knows, please l- message, comment, tag, like, tell us why there's a T-Rex in Batman's Batcave. Because <laughs> I want to know. Have you ever Googled it? I think, okay, if no one tells us, I'll Google it. But let's... Huh. Ledger, put it on the ledger. It's on the, here's the ledger. Another thing I'm looking forward to, I heard that they are going to do a TV series sequel of Willow. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. And it's I think maybe, maybe it's The Witcher has wet my appetite for it, back in tune with those feelings of really just loving that sort of ridiculous fantasy film that you just don't really get anymore post-Lord of the Rings. That would be cool. Uh- is surprising that Disney still haven't done anything with Indiana Jones. If I think more than anything, Solo has made them terrified to recast that role. Yeah. And God bless him, Harrison Ford isn't getting any younger. Do you your impression? I'm Harrison Ford. <laughs> can, you, can you say anything about his name? I'm, I'm, getting, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. Oh, that's not bad. bad. I've got a bad (laughs) feeling about this. (laughs) Yeah, I spend my days doing that and working on my uh, um, Ian McKellen. (laughs) That's what I do when no one's in the house. It's time for a rank. What shall we call this feature? The Soldiers of Hell rank off. Come rank with me. Strictly come ranking. Maybe just a load of rank. Speaking of, uh, of things from from last year, highlights of last year, when you sent me a picture of you dressed as Gandalf on Halloween. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun night. Lots of people uh, confused, I think. Yeah, that, that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. Um, up in the ante on Halloween outfits. Mine was a bit cobbled together at the last minute last year. So I I was Jack Torrance, as in Jack Nicholson's character from The Shining. And I don't know, I can't remember how I came up with the idea in the end, but I literally had 30 minutes in between meetings at work the day before, I think it was the day, two days before Halloween, my last opportunity to get into any shops at all. And I just targeted the fancy dress shop right, I'm going to get an axe. And I know there's two doors down from that. There is a charity shop. And it was literally go in there, pick up an axe, get to a massive queue because it was two days before Halloween. Run to, <laughs> run into a charity shop, nothing there, run into the next one, find the perfect shirt that he basically wears. As, well, it looks just like his overcoat for the film. And then leg it back to work and was five minutes late for my next meeting. <laughs> I mean, I saw a photo of, of that outfit and I thought it was particularly good. For, for saying that you pulled it together in that short amount of time. I was wasn't... very lucky. I mean, as much as I enjoy my outfit, 
it was, you know, I went and I bought a wizard's outfit. Whereas, <laughs> whereas, whereas you had to sort of come up with, right, you, you, it's the difference between a homemade and a jar curry. It's the difference <laughs> between a homemade curry that you have already prepared half the ingredients of and they're in your freezer versus <laughs> buying a takeaway curry. I think I don't think it's fair to say that you're yeah slightly higher quality and <laughs> and I'd just like to say whenever we wear your wizard's outfit again I think I mean that's an investment oh every wedding I go for to from now on <laughs> uh, yeah and the the good thing is if I take the beard off I look just like my mum oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's going to be a big year then. If we're going to have to top those Halloween outfits. We've pretty much set out the agenda for the year. And uh, unsurprisingly, it involves Eurovision and Bond. <laughs> yeah. Ah, one on just what the, the, the final thing that I've, I'm looking forward to, and I'm sort of interested in as well in the way it plays out now, that I saw the other day. Have you seen the Morbius trailer? I haven't yet, no. Do you know anything about it? So I know it's a vampire-like anti-hero that is not far off everything i know about it the interesting thing from my point of view is it's a sony only production isn't it they've got the the deal with marvel that means that they're having spider-man and the mcu now at the very end of the trailer michael keaton appears seemingly reprising his role as the adrian tombs Talking to Morbius. Right. Okay. Opening up the question, is Morbius part of or linked, well, clearly linked in some way to the MCU? And by extension, is Venom mm. and are all Sony Spider-Man films potentially a backdoor in the M- into the MCU? We now have a multiverse. Yes, seeing as we now have a multiverse. Or a Spider-Verse. Well, yes, yeah. It's uh, and apparently there's there's another bit in the in the Morbius trailer where there's a, a poster of Spider Man in the background that someone has scrawled "murderer" on, linking Which... it to Far From Home. Yes, yeah. So mm, interesting. Yeah. Well, when you said Michael Keaton's in it, I thought, well, that is some crossover, Batman and. <laughs> And the Spider-Man character. I mean, it, it, at this stage, okay, it's likely, but it is purely speculation that he's playing Adrian Toomes in Morbius. There's every chance he could be playing Johnny Dangerously. <laughs> Unlikely, but we're in for that Johnny Dangerously soft reboot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a highlight I am looking forward to. Yeah. <laughs> so... One well packed well end of end of Game of Thrones end of game end game and end of decade roundup. I thought you were going to get into some kind of Witcher tongue twister again. Then, <laughs> I mean, I mean that is the highlight of my year so far. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll be unlikely to top it. <laughs> Why don't you guys all tell us what your um, highlights of the last year and what your nerdy hot picks for the upcoming 12 months are going to be you can tweet us at soh 
underscore podcast, or you can put a message on anchor.fm forward slash SOH, and we will potentially even include it in the show. Not retrospectively. <laughs> Definitely not retrospectively. We'd have to do some end game type shenanigans to, to pull that one off. Yeah. Time heist, anyone? <laughs> so uh, see you all guys. Well, see you, hear, hear you all. No, you hear us all next time. Yeah. You'll hear us all. See- Goodbye. Soldiers of Hell is a Fosgate Studios production. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, comment, and share.